As we prepare to encounter God's word, let us begin with prayer. O Holy Spirit of God, teach us from this text what it means to be your children, to follow you in spirit and in truth. Your holy name, amen. Our lectionary text this week first comes from the Psalter, Psalm 32, a psalm that's wonderful to go over again and again during the season of Lent. It's a psalm of prayer for confession of sin. You know, at that time, disease was regarded as punishment for sin, and healing was evidence that your sin had been forgiven. And so in looking at it in that way, still we see that the psalm lets us know that when we have sinned, our whole body is affected by the sin. Hear now the words of scripture. Happy are those whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Happy are those to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept quiet, my body wasted away. Though my groaning all day long for the day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as the heat of summer. And then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not hide my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all who are faithful offer prayer to you at a time of distress. The rush of mighty waters shall not reach them, for you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble, you surround me with glad cries of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Do not be like a horse or a mule without understanding, whose temper must be curbed with the bit and the bridle, else it will not stay near. Many are the torments of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds those who trust in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all who are upright in heart. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel lesson is taken from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 15, commonly known as the prodigal son. Though today I'm going to refer to it as the prodigal father. Uh, the word prodigal is an interesting word and what it means. So as we look at this, it illustrates the father's concern for those who need him. Hear the words of the gospel. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told a parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that will belong to me. So he divided his property between them. And a few days later, the younger son gathered all that he had and traveled to a distant country. And there, 
he squandered his property in dissolute living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him to the field to feed the pigs. He would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired hands have bread enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will get up and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me like one of the hired hands. So he set off and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion, and he ran and put his arms around him and kissed him. Then the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to the slaves, Quickly, bring out a robe, the best one. Put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and get the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost, but is found. And they began to celebrate. Now, his older son was out in the field, and when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called to one of the slaves and asked, What is going on? And he replied, Your brother has come, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has got him back safe and sound. And he became angry and refused to go in. His father came out and began to plead with him, and he answered his father, Listen, for all these years I've been working for you like a slave and have never disobeyed your command, and yet you have never even given me as much as a young goat that I may celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes back, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said, Son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and has come to life. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. You know, I used to think that dysfunctional families was an oddity, it was rare, and that something seriously had had to happen for them to go astray. But after raising a couple of girls and several years in ministry, I conclude that every family has some dysfunction. Every family needs this story of the prodigal father. Because we all have seasons that we're sort of off track. And we need grace, heaped upon grace, to make it through. Let us pray. Lord, teach us about your unconditional love for us, your children. Amen. 
Yes, I think I know something about dysfunctional families because I can look back and feel that there were lots of times where we could have functioned better, where there were times where we failed to take the high road. Instead, we were punitive or judgmental or worried more about our reputation. But if, if you want an expert in dysfunctional families, we, we have to go to God. God has more experience with dysfunctional families than anyone I know. So let's look at the Bible. First in the Bible, there's Adam and Eve. They had two sons, and one son murders the other son. Is, is he a problem child? Is he just angry? What happened? Then there's Abraham. He had two sons by two different women. It says that the older son was abusing the younger son, and soon the father sends the younger son and his mother out into the desert. And then there's Isaac and Rebecca. They have twin sons, and they play favorites. They play one son against the other, and so Jacob certainly gets identified as the problem child, and he leaves home. But then Jacob marries Rachel, and they have 12 children, 12 sons. And one of the sons gets sold into slavery by his brothers. You know, I tell you these stories, and we haven't even got out of the book of Genesis yet. <laughs> I could tell you a story. King David. King David is, wasn't exactly a poster parent for family values. One of his sons rapes one of the daughters, and a brother kills the son that is the rapist. But let's go clear into the New Testament, to the book of Mark, and let's look at Jesus' own family. Mark reports that Jesus' mother and brothers, I bet some sisters were along too, but they don't mention those, they, they went to find Jesus thinking he was mentally ill. They wanted to kidnap him and take him home because they considered he was deranged. Jesus' behavior, they couldn't tolerate. He was out there casting out demons, forgiving sins, and healing people of diseases. Well, it was pretty obvious who was the problem in this family of Nazareth. Every dysfunctional family needs a problem child. They can shake their head and say, tis, 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 ain't it awful? Every dysfunctional family needs a problem child, sometimes just to distract them from working on their own problems. There is a story told by Woody Allen. Woody said, doctor, doctor, I need your help. My brother thinks he's a chicken. And the doctor said, well, that could be serious. How long has this been going on? And Woody replied, well, it's been going on for seven years. And the doctor said, and you're just now coming to me to talk about it? What took you so long? And Woody replied and said, we needed the eggs. <laughs> you know, when a problem child is removed, usually someone else starts getting promoted and starts acting out. Every dysfunctional family needs a problem child even if they have to create a new one. As we look at this lesson today, we can think of our own family relationships, our family and our extended family, or we can look at our relationships here at church.
if the little brother left home because he couldn't get along with the big brother? What if the older brother needed him to act out and to get into trouble so that the older brother could look really good in comparison? You know, families act like this. What if the younger brother just got tired of being identified as the problem all the time? So when he leaves, of course, everyone is going to say, well, that's what you expect from that kid. And the older brother will chime in, tiss, tiss, tiss. Ain't it awful? You know, it's like every dysfunctional family has is scripted. It's like you're following a script of a play or a soap opera, and everyone seems to know their lines. Oh, what an ungrateful kid. That's exactly what you would expect. But in our story from Luke today, something different happens. And I think it's something that we can use in our own families for sure. In this case, it is dad who throws away the script. He's supposed to say when the young son comes back, well, look at you. You're broken. You look pathetic and you've even lost your shoes. I could have told you so. But dad blows his lines. He forgets what he's supposed to say, and instead he acts completely out of character. Just imagine this father. He's been standing there looking for his son day after day after day after day. And when he sees him, he hikes up his robe, and he runs, and he hugs him, and he kisses him. And he puts a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and puts a robe on him. And then he throws a party. Suddenly, Dad is playing a totally different game. This is not about a bad boy crawling home. This is about a son who is dearly beloved. And the whole household follows Dad's script as Dad leads and throw this huge party, all except one. When a problem child starts getting better, the family can often create a new problem child. And guess who got elected? The older brother is out in the field sulking. He's acting out. You would swear that he picked up the lines from the younger brother. All the words are different, but the script is pretty recognizable. He was saying, well, you know, I was the good boy, and what did I get? Maybe, maybe if... Uh, the way to get noticed around here is by just staying away from home. I'm not going to the house. And maybe if I did something really bad, Dad would throw me a party, har har. You, you can just hear the script. Even now, Dad is flipping the roles. He could have played the same old game, and they would be right back where they were. It could have been easy for him to say, to the young son, hey, your older brother's out in the field and he's not coming in. And the younger brother would say, well, I knew he wouldn't. Tiss, 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 ain't it awful. He could have done that, but he didn't. He didn't. What does dad do? He could have just um, stayed inside at the party and not gone out in the field and just let the older brother sulk. But instead, 
he forgets his script and he does the same thing he did for the younger brother. He goes to where the pain is. He goes with his heart open, trying to bring reconciliation, leaving all authority and all privilege behind. He goes to the hurting member of the family, and I just bet he gave him a hug as well. This is a father who is not going to play favorites. This is a father who loves both of his children equally, not like the families in Genesis where there's playing favorites, not like King David who set his own children up for failure. This father loves extravagantly. Now the word prodigal means reckless, extravagant, generous, unsparing. So I think this story is about the radical, ungenerous, extravagant love of the father. It's the prodigal father. As we think of the church, and we're reminded of this story, we have to realize that God does not think or act like we do. The truth is, God has nothing to do with rewards and punishment. God is about second chances, and fourth chances, and seventh chances, and on and on. And we know that where there is misery, there is the Messiah. God doesn't keep score. God is not in the punishment and reward business, but often we put God there. We have over the centuries. But I am. I can be judgmental. I can keep a score. I can be full of righteous indignation. You know, just reading this story, like I'm sitting in the audience, I'm suddenly judging everyone and I'm giving them a grade. You know, the first act, I want them to punish the younger son. He deserved what he got. In the second act, I'm all for punishing the sulking older brother. And in fact, I'm deducting points from the father. Why did he give the money to the younger son in the first place, knowing he could go squander it? Dad, Dad, where was your head? As a church, we have all kinds of younger and older brothers and sisters, those who run away, those who stay and feel a bit of righteous indignation, those who sulk if they don't get their way, and those who return home after a long hiatus away. And we can be the father, the mother, the one who will hike up our robe and meet them and offer them sandals and kill the fatted calf for the benefit of the one coming home. We can say, you know what, we are 639 strong and you came home and now we're 640 strong because of you. We must celebrate. You were gone and you have returned. God doesn't keep score. God does not punish or reward because God does not think the way that we do. This scorekeeping thing, it's human. This 
treasuring up grudges is human. Judging others is human. God's ways are completely different. In Jesus Christ, God is reconciling the world to God's self. Christ is God's ambassador, and he goes wherever the suffering, the pain, the need is. Christ is running down the road to hug the younger brother, and Christ left the party to persuade the older brother to be reconciled. Come, reconcile with your younger brother. Let's be a family again. Now, it's interesting that Jesus doesn't tell us how this story ends. He doesn't tell us if that older brother ever comes in from the cold. And even if he did, Jesus doesn't tell us how that relationship worked out that day or the next or even next year. My guess is that they sort of had to make it up as they went along, just as we do from day to day. No script. Lots of mistakes, lots of opportunity to love and support, lots of opportunities to express the overwhelming prodigal love of God. Because in every family and in every church, we need the extravagant, unconditional love of God. Amen.